You're listening to Reality Check, Sci-Fi London's podcast about science fiction in various media. I'm Alex Fitch, and in this episode you can hear two Q&As that were recorded at the Spring 2013 Sci-Fi London Film Festival. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Christina Boisit about her erotic techno-thriller Vanishing Waves, in which a scientist travels into the mind of a coma patient to try and revive her consciousness. However, before that, I'm talking to Shazad Darwood about his feature film Piercing Brightness, where various cultures and alien encounters collide in an elliptical film shot on the streets of Preston in Lancashire. So, Piercing Brightness, uh, it's a heady brew of local culture in the Preston area, of UFO myths, of cultural identity. I mean, I was wondering if you could just talk a little about the genesis of the project. Um, okay, that's a very big question. Yeah, I know. You've got, <laughs> you've got um, three minutes. Okay. Three minutes <laughs> okay. to do genesis. Okay. Sounds yeah. like religious so studies in school. In the beginning, there were UFOs. Um, I think maybe there were. I was just trying to think of, of it, watching the film again, what were some of the early starting points. And I think probably the two key, key early texts I based the film around, there's a great, uh, the last interviews with Philip K. Dick uh, called What If Our World Is Their Heaven? Mm. It's just some of the most beautiful um, lyrical kind of uh, poetry of just somebody being interviewed. It was shortly before his death. And it's just this very beautiful way of. I can see everyone. It was a very beautiful way of almost just seeing the world backwards. Mm. You know, what if this world, with all its viscerality, all its humanness, would actually be another species' idea of heaven? And vice versa. So you can probably see that some way in, in Warner and his branch of the 100 actually wanting to stay. You know, it's, it starts off perhaps where you're thinking a Warner's the bad guy, but it's actually a point of view, and for me the kind of conversation between him and the seer is almost like two philosophers going, two galactic philosophers going head to head. And the other, actually, which might sound a bit more odd, the other key text is uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, because uh, I was really interested in this idea of the soul after death, but what if we're already doing that right here and now? You know, this, there's this idea of the soul after death gets stuck in this in various limbos where it hasn't quite let go of all its earthly ties. And it feeds back into actually one of my favorite Dick novels, A Maze of Death, which is all, you know, and his whole Gnostic thing. You know, it's, I'm quite interested in those sorts of ideas of belief. So Genesis is maybe not a bad word. Okay. <laughs> and actually, Dick's last book is called Exogenesis, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you're a practicing fine artist outside of making films, and so I was wondering when it comes to making a movie like this, whether you start off in your head with certain images that you want to put on screen and then construct a narrative around There's probably an element of that sort of backwards process where you know, I start visually almost before I get to a script and then you know, I sketched out what I wanted and we work with uh, two great writers who are both uh, here tonight. Uh, and so it does start visually, but I think one of the key things I was interested in was, was making a hybrid mm. with this film, a hybrid of an, of an art film with all the experimental, sort of more poetic visuals that go with that, mm. but equally uh, hybridizing that with a commercial genre piece, 
and I didn't want to make just one or the other. It needed to be uh, perhaps that, mm. that blend of the two. And I guess also because you were shooting in Preston and it was kind of a collaboration with the local people, that you wanted to involve local folklore about UFOs and the whole kind of history of the area as well. Yeah, there was some interesting, you know, generally I, I choose a place to shoot where there's some level of synchronicity. Mm. And uh, Lancashire has the highest UFO sighting rate in the UK. Uh, but, you know, there's a factual basis for that. The BA systems have their largest plant in Lancashire. Mm. Um, and there's other interesting things, though. So uh, Mormonism originated in Preston. The first mass Mormon baptisms were in the River Ribble that you see the townsfolk going down to at the end of the film. So it was sort of weaving all these, hence the kind of caption at the beginning, sort of positing it as a quasi-documentary. Um, and Preston also has the fastest growing mainland Chinese population in the UK. Um, again, for a very sound factual basis that the university there was the first, open, the first British university to have an annex in Beijing. So I like this sort of mix between, you know, odd fact bordering on myth but having its mm. origins and quite pragmatic. Sure. And of course then the Chinese presence in Preston means that you can run parallels between um, an emergent culture from visitors uh, from across the globe with this kind of fascination of visitors from another planet. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean a lot of, you know, a lot of the inclusion of the imagery of different exotic birds uh, as well as native birds, particularly in the form of the pigeons, was this was trying to sort of play on that idea of what is mm. what is native or indigenous anyway. Um, the deer you see in there are a particular interest of mine. They're munchak deer. You get them all over Richmond Park, for example, and they're thought of as quite quintessentially English, mm. but they actually originate in Southeast Asia and were actually brought over in the 1800s to decorate the Duke of Bedford's manner and then just spread their breeding got out of hand. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well I've been given the five minute warning from the back of the auditorium. So one, one more actually is not five minutes. We'll get you in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> well if, if anyone has a single question that they would like to ask in front of all their peers before we move to the bar, uh, speak now or forever hold your peace. Anyone? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> I have a question. I understood that uh, there's a lot of metaphors and so on, and, but uh, why choose that? I mean, it, it, the story itself was really interesting. How you know why and stuff, but all those birds, which are beautiful and so on, here and it's just basically uh, without due respect, it confuses the hell out of me. I mean, I didn't get it. I wanted to, but I couldn't. And I, I don't want to be a, a, a critic or be someone to say that. But as a filmmaker myself, I feel like I should say that I didn't get it, which I really wanted to. But why? Why? I feel like if it would have been a short story without those whole bunch of metaphors or so on, or all those images going back and forth, day and night, day and night, which were brilliantly done, meaning shot, but it just didn't help me any. It confused me more. Why? Sure. I think my choice in doing that was. Um, my own kind of feelings about most of the films I go and see, you know, commercially speaking, that uh, the audience is so spoon-fed from beginning to end. You know, you're given a central protagonist, you're given a very tight narrative to follow, and it's so far away from our, our real perception. You know, our real perception is fragmented, um, our recollections are often hazy at best, 
And often, you know, it's the films I, I tend to enjoy most, and maybe it's a personal preference, are the ones that are a bit more hard going, that are a bit confusing, but somehow I might not have all the answers when I come out. I might be equally mystified, but they keep me thinking over a, over a few days or weeks subsequently. And maybe because they're harder work, I come out maybe not at all clear on what I'm thinking, but actually challenged to think for myself. And I was hoping that it might at least stimulate a more active uh, reaction in the audience, even if it's to be mystified and to kind of work through that. Mm. Well, particularly because you spoke about wanting to mix kind of like art films with mainstream and the whole, one of the, the great successes of the art world is the ambiguity of what you see. Yeah. Yeah. Shazad Darwood's film, Piercing Brightness, is released on DVD in the second week of November. Next, here's my interview with Christina Buerzit. I thought that was a really beautiful and powerful film. There are various issues and <coughs> tropes of kind of science fiction storytelling that the film deals with emotional love, uh, relationships that are dominated by lust, the way that we interpret our dreams. I mean, I, I was wondering what was the specific starting point uh, when it came to coming up with the story in the first place? It was uh, <laughs> um, a bit of, um, how to say, um, different starting points. Mm. Um, after my first feature, I wanted to make a film about a uh, couple relationship, uh, a film uh, about desire, and uh, I wanted to look at this uh, very intimate. And um, at the same time, I didn't want to do some social movie, and uh, <laughs> I wanted to. Uh, uh, to make an adventurous story mm -hmm. and uh, when we started uh, to look to different uh, aspects how, 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 how to tell a story, how to come up with the subject uh, the co-writer uh, Bruno Samper suggested uh, what if we make adventurous uh, not outside, not in different countries but uh, let's in make in, uh, <laughs> yes, in, in, inside so I liked a lot uh, this idea, and then we started. And uh, after there were many, many inspirations, uh, but uh, from the main inspirations, it was uh, the technology, uh, that uh, how technology is affecting human uh, mm. society, internet, mobile phones, computers, and uh, how humans are communicating by distance and falling in love, uh, <laughs> having fights, having this, I don't know, full life, not being together. Mm. And um, it's uh, giving a question, what is the place of the body? Like mm. everything is somehow shifting to digital world, mm. like uh, cinema is uh, going from film to digital world. Mm. So with the body is also strange things happening. Uh, mm. uh, so where is the place of the body? And um, after when we started to think uh, how to give this uh, scientific uh, attitude, uh, we we came up uh, to this neurology world uh, mm. and uh, to the scientist uh, science every day is uh, finding new things about the human body how it's made mm. how it's functioning and uh, that uh, all uh, 
all our emotions, behavior, feelings are based uh, uh, according to chemical reactions in our brains. Mm. And uh, I don't know, it also gives questions, is it so simple everything? Uh, so it was our main inspirations to make the star. Mm. As well as um, the pair of you being co-writers, you're credited as director and Bruno is credited as creative director which is a credit I've never seen on screen before. Does that mean that he was given the responsibility of coming up with sort of um, all the computer-generated imagery, or was it more than that? Uh, I mean, Bruno, he came uh, up in doing many jobs. <laughs> so we didn't want to put him <laughs> different credits. Uh, so he came, uh, creative director, there is in uh, video games, mm. and uh, he was responsible not only for uh, co-writing the script uh, together with me, but also for the visuality. Uh, not only for visual effects, but uh, to come up with ideas for the sets and etc. Mm. Uh, because for us it was very comfortable, because since the script, uh, mm. we already started to think how everything should look, because it was also to write uh, it was to write a script according to the budget. Mm. And um, you know, when you write a script, okay, science fiction, we will make high-tech, everything, it will be many lights, many computers, <laughs> many screens, <laughs> but of course, after, we cannot do that. So, we already started to think, and uh, his background is uh, visual arts, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I am 100 for his taste uh, and for his visual sensibility, mm. so, so that's how he got uh, creative director <laughs> status. I mean, I have to admit, I don't know an awful lot about Lithuanian interior design, but... Um, uh, so, it's French. <laughs> okay, all right. But um, it, thinking of the, the very um, striking interiors that you have for the, the room where the experiment is taking place, and then the very striking house uh, on the beach, are both of those um, based on anything in real life, or were they based entirely on his aesthetics? Uh, no, it's not only on aesthetics because, um, for example, uh, everything uh, that takes place uh, in uh, the world of Aurora, the goal was uh, to create the world that would be extension of Aurora, of mm. her character, of her states, of her mood, of her... I don't know, of her being. Mm. So everything uh, has a meaning and everything is extension. So. Mm. Uh, I mean, for the house, we were searching for the house for five months. <laughs> and um, it's uh, bit by bit, bit by bit, uh, because we wanted the house to be a person, uh, a character itself. Mm. And uh, it also had to personalize Aurora. And uh, it had to be very strong because the house is like a shelf. Mm. So it had to represent her totally. And uh, bit by bit, finally, we came uh, to this... Uh, one side uh, totally clean, minimalistic, mm. because uh, when you think, uh, try, try to remember, we came, we passed many steps, because when children are drawing, they don't draw details, they draw just, uh, you know, mm. the uh, main things, and uh, when we remember, we usually remember just uh, main things, and uh, so we had to skip, to skip, to skip, to skip. In fact, everything was done in, by reduction mm. in, in, in the film, in thinking about design and in thinking about the scenes, uh, about everything. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, the... The subject matter of uh, kind of brain transfer and experiments on 
like dreamscape seemed to be very much present in sci-fi films in the early 80s and some of the minimalist design seems to hark back to that era. Were there, were there any films that were particularly influential on you when you uh, were making this movie? Oh, we watched, of course, many films. <laughs> uh, many sci-fi films, uh, mm. like Brainstorm, uh, uh, to see what it is done, uh, what not to do, what to do. <laughs> and... Uh, it was a little tribute to Kubrick <laughs> mm. <laughs> about uh, about uh, this um, and not uh, um, I, I, I censored the privating tank, uh, mm. but it was also about the mystery because uh, this tank is representing the mystery of the brain, and when mm. he's connecting, uh, he's going to the mystery. So this cube, this black, uh, so it somehow went very well together, and um, after. Uh, I, I don't know, because uh, this anechoic room, it exists uh, nowadays, uh, and not in the 80s or 90s, but mm. in 2012 also. So, and uh, what we wanted to, to make uh, for scientists, we wanted to make uh, the design uh, um, that uh, everything would be, um, I forgot the word, but um, that it would be useful. Mm. Everything functional. Fun yeah, functional design. Not mm. just design for design, because usually when you watch uh, uh, movies, you see uh, scientists took uh, some designer and uh, he modulated uh, the room and after they go to work there. But uh, in real life, it's everything very simple, in mm. fact. So we were going after uh, such ideas. Mm. And the orgy scene, I mean, that seemed to be influenced by uh, Brian Usner's society. I saw it only after. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Obviously, you were both tapping to the same kind of dark erotic. You know? um, but it was, I don't know, I think uh, reasons are a bit different. Uh, sure. Goals. <laughs> Does uh, anyone in the audience have any questions for Christina? Don't be shy. No, no I'll keep going then. <laughs> Thinking of, I mean adult science fiction in the sense that a movie that isn't afraid to tackle the subject of sexuality and isn't just like kind of a, a thriller in, in the more um, traditional sort of sci-fi sense that seems to be something that we're very afraid of tackling in english-speaking countries you get very little of it in england you get none of it in america but in mainland europe it, they both seem to be subjects that you can still do hand in hand do you think this is due to any kind of like cultural uh, differences that are still in play or do you think it's purely because of censorship um, on either side of the Atlantic? I think uh, it's, it's because uh, you want to get as many people <laughs> as you can, <laughs> <Yeah>. purely <laughs> commercial um, reasons. Uh, because if you get, uh, if you make, I don't know, a big uh, blockbuster and you get an uh, 18, so why to do it? Mm. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's very logic and uh, simple reasons. And uh, uh, here, um, first, it's not a pure science fiction genre. It's mm. uh, more sci-fi romance or romance yeah. with mixed uh, with sci-fi. And um, sometimes uh, people don't know into what shelf to put the movie. Mm. Uh, but it was our goal. And... Um, 
we're thinking how it will be <laughs> because uh, we're creating uh, something uh, not very ordinary uh, mm. I mean uh, it's, it's very important nowadays to, to manage to put everything sure. because uh, if you don't manage then you get a stress and uh, <laughs> shock and after you say okay I don't want to deal with this at all <laughs> so uh, we, we made our risk uh, because um, now when we watch I mean me for example when I watch science fiction I usually get very disappointed because mm. uh, there are the same codes uh, and uh, uh, the same um, uh, things going on yeah you know exactly where it's going to go because yes, you've seen it before and uh, you get the side of effects and it's it's all fantastic uh, wonderful acting wonderful mm. but uh, after the result you are empty and uh, mm. it's it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's very disappointing so in creating vanishing waves it was the uh, first thing to create a movie that i would like to see Mm. And uh, for Bruno it was also the same, that uh, he also wanted to make a movie that he would like to see. And um, I don't know, even before for me, I like classic. Mm. And uh, usually when even I go to film festivals, uh, I, I go to watch retrospectives. <laughs> 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 because uh, it's, it's uh, films that are measured by time and they're mm. still good and effective. Uh, and uh, they have these different layers. And mm. uh, we also wanted to put in the film many, many layers. Uh, mm. So I, I went a bit further from, <laughs> <laughs> from straight no, right. answering your question. Uh, but... Um, Okay, I, I went somewhere. So, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> but it, it, it's interesting that you know you were talking about some of the influences of the film being the way that people communicate using modern technology. And although uh, in some respects it doesn't have a happy ending, um, up until that point you're suggesting that these new technologies actually can uh, lead to a fulfilling kind of romantic relationship. And it's interesting that, um, I haven't seen it, but there was a film that came out last year, I think with Ewan McGregor, where him and maybe all of mankind, or at least him and the female lead, have some kind of virus that means the longer they have this uh, disease, the less sensations they have. So they're slowly becoming dislocated from emotions, from sensations by modernity in a certain way. And your film actually has a different trajectory, which I think is really interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. But did you do, did you do any research in terms of uh, interviewing people who use the internet for um, fulfilling relationships? No, uh, we didn't do, and I didn't do. But uh, specific research. But when you look around, you mm. see many stories around. And uh, um, first. Uh, I didn't want to judge if it's good or bad. Mm. Um, I think when people go through, they will make their own decisions. Uh, mm. And uh, it's a fact that uh, uh, different way of communication is affecting our life, and it is, mm. and it will be more and more. Mm. So, um, and with this uh, film, uh, it's, it's, it's also, I mean, uh, giving if it's so good, I mean, just to have fantasy or finally if you need a body, so mm. it's uh, it's somehow open o open thing. I think if you if you watch closely, you would see uh, the point of view. I mean, the creator's yeah. point of view. <laughs> sure. 
Well, I've been given the uh, wrap it up signal. I think we've run out of time. Thank you very much. I thought that was terrific. Vanishing Waves is released on DVD in the second week of November. If you're listening to this podcast on the weekend of the 12th and 13th of October 2013, this year's Sci-Fi London Oktoberfest is taking place right now at the Stratford Picture House in Stratford, East London. Screenings at this year's Oktoberfest include Vincenzo Natale's new film Haunter, a celebration of VHS culture called Rewind This, and the UK premiere of new sci-fi action film The Colony with Bill Paxton and Lawrence Fishburne. On Sunday the 13th of October, I'll be doing a Q&A on stage following the screening of Ashens and The Quest for the Game Child, a feature-length version of the YouTube phenomenon looking at obscure games machines from around the world in a comedy film that also stars Robert Llewellyn and Warwick Davis. For more information about the Sci-Fi London Oktoberfest, please go to sci-fi-london.com. Reality Check was recorded, edited, and introduced by Alex Fitch, is a Panel Borders production, and you can find all previous episodes at sci-fi-london.com stroke podcast. Thanks for listening.